Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. But this 139th Psalm is one of the most comprehensive sections of the entire Bible that reveals to us the qualities of God and at the same time, because we've been created in the image of God, a lot about ourselves. Now, one of the things that, that we need to understand is that the only thing we really know about God is what he has chosen to reveal to us. That's called self-revelation. You use that term in the last book of the Bible. We refer to it as revelations, and that's incorrect. It is actually the word revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing of who Jesus is. That's the whole book of Revelation. This particular psalm, and the word psalm comes from a Greek word, solo, which means literally the singing to the plucking of an instrument. That's the literal meaning of the word psalm. It's a, it's a type of, of song. 900 years ago, back on the frontier and other times, we actually, a lot of the music of the church was simply the singing of the psalms. And so uh, th this is a song that, uh, uh, that contains considerable theological truth and uh, it, is, it is in it God revealing things about himself so that we can understand the things about ourselves. Because I'm inclined to believe, I can't prove this, but I'm inclined to believe that you and I are living at a time when most of our people, and especially those I would say 50 and under, are suffering from a serious problem of self-image. Their self-image is, is not healthy. And, and I think some of the, the silly things that they do uh, is related to that whole concept of a poor self-image. There are lots of good books written on it that we don't have time to mess with. Some of the things that we know that the Bible says about God is, number one, He's not flesh and blood, even though he revealed himself in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could know more about him. We do know this, that God is a person and that he is spirit. Now that becomes extremely important when we get to the place where, where in the theologians called the Imago Dei, the, the image of God in us. Because the only part of us that is eternal is our personality and our spirit. That's because the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So it has to be laid aside. We also know that, that God and, the, and the, the writings of John in particular tell us that God is the embodiment of love. And whenever we talk about the love of God we use that specific term, agape, because there's two words 
in, uh, for love in the Bible. One is the word that you all know, phileo. That's the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, come from that word. The other word that is used in particular of the love of God is the word uh, agape, which means willingness to sacrifice in order to benefit the other person. And that's, that's spelled out and dramatized for us in the cross. Jesus denied himself of the position in heaven, put on flesh and became a man, and died on the cross. He gave that up, you see. He denied himself. And one of the things that we need to preach on more, and I hear it less, is self-denial for you and me. The Bible says Jesus made this abundantly clear to his disciples. If you're going to follow me, the first thing that you must be willing to do is to deny yourself if you're going to take up the cross and follow me. And taking up the cross is, is a symbol of following Jesus. We, we know also, excuse me, that God is a God of order. And we need to keep that in mind in the chaotic world in which we're living. Because when you look carefully at the book of Genesis in the opening chapters, it says that God created stuff. It was without form and void or empty. It was just stuff. But the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water on the, on the stuff, and the chaotic form in which it was became cosmos. It went from chaos to order. And the New Testament teaches that whenever there's disorder in the church, it's, it's satanic because God operates in an orderly fashion. And that whole concept is important when we talk about the Spirit of God indwelling in us as individuals. The goal there is to create an orderly, productive life, and that orderly life becomes more like Jesus every day as we mature in the faith. That's what the, the fruit of the Spirit in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians really is talking about. Those fruit of the Spirit are the character qualities of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is to produce in you and me. That's the reason the Apostle Paul could say, he had matured in his faith where those qualities were there in him and he could say, for me to live is Christ. What he was talking about, of course, was that the character qualities of Jesus were embodied in him and lived out on a daily basis. We also know that God is the creator of everything. God created everything. If you look carefully at the opening verses of the Gospel of John, he refers back to Genesis but puts it in a different way. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word here is the word logos, which means the incarnate Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing was created without him. All things were created, he said, by him, and without him was not anything created that exists. And so we, we have these self, these revelations of, who, of something about God that he has seen fit 
to reveal to us. Now, the power of God, the scripture says, is sometimes related in what we see in the universe. The magnificence of the universe testifies to the glory of God. Its beauty and its, and its size and so on. But all we know about God really is what he has seen to reveal to us. And what he has revealed to us in the Bible and through the life of Jesus is all we need to know. We don't need to know anything more. He has seen fit to, to, to share with us everything we need to know in order to get to know him. When I was a youngster, before I was even a teenager, there was an old man in Maysville, Kentucky, who selected young men and helped them financially to to get through college and to, and and to help them in life because he had no children and he had quite a bit of money. His name was Mr. Alva West. And he, I was, he ran Brock Brothers Grain Company there in Maysville. And I think I've told you this before. I had an old red rooster that I took in there that dad and mother had let me claim to be mine. And I brought that old rooster in and I laid him on the scales because he told me to. And he said, is that your rooster? I said, yes, sir. That's my rooster. And he said, well, you get on the scales with him. So I got on the scales with him, and he paid me for me and the rooster. And so I went home rich. And he told my dad, who was with me, he said, Mr. Rawlings, the reason I did that is because he said, yes, sir. That's my rooster. If I'd have said, yep, or something like that, I'd have just gotten paid for my rooster. Well, anyway, Mr. West was a big influence in my life but and he asked my dad and mother if one of the days in the future if there was a ball game in Cincinnati or there were a zoo uh, there was a rodeo or something there at the gardens could he take me for the weekend and he said I will send you a list of names where you can call and check on me in other words, my mother and daddy, in order to have comfort that he wasn't a molester or something, even though you never heard, hardly heard of it then, he sent names of individuals that knew him and had known him for years as, as references before he expected them to let me go with him. And that proved to be... And so what God has done in the Bible is he has given us in the scriptures not only he has testified of himself and you'll see that here in a minute because this title every person matters is meant to show you how God has participated who he is and how he's participated in creating humanity This 139th Psalm is remarkable because in it we have the three things that theologians have always used 
were clear back to the fourth century in describing what the Bible says about God. These are Latin phrases. The omniscience of God means the all-knowingness of God. The omnipresence of God is, of course, his always being present through the Holy Spirit. The omnipotence of God refers to his great power. In particular, the speaking into existence of all that exists. And the power of God is, is realized in your day and my day here on earth in the capacity to change people. Change people from selfish sinners. And, and the greatest work that's ever been done on that was done by a fourth century theologian in which he said pride is the primary source of all of our sins. Augustine of Hippo said, and, and you can actually probably Google it and find it as well because you can find about anything on the internet now. But I want you to look here at the scripture because these, these qualities that we talk about in theology, the omnis of God, are all here in this 139th Psalm. Listen, for instance, here in the first, first verses when he says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going in and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Now get this. Before a word of my tongue, you know completely what I'm thinking, O Lord. And so what he's saying here is God is all-knowing. And in following up of that, starting at verse 7 through verse 16, he talks about the presence of God. I think you all will admit with me that I don't understand how that is possible. But you have to believe that if he spoke the world into existence, that his capacity to do whatever he says can hardly be questioned. He says, you hem me in behind and before. In other words, you have heard me when 9-11 came. You heard me say that, in my opinion, God had lifted the hedge of protection from around the United States. That we've said, God, we don't want you in our schools. We want the prayer to go out. We want the Bible reading to go out. We, we, we don't want you to participate. We've said it in our culture, in our media. And it appeared to me that he was saying, hey, if that's what you want, then you must be willing to live with what you've asked for. And he lifted the hedge. And 3,000 people died. And it's just the beginning. I wonder, because I've never seen it, I wonder how many people are murdered every weekend here in the U.S. We hear about Chicago and one or two others, and that's, they're all, that's all because of political stuff. But I just wonder, with the chaos that goes on, how many people 
it was just on, the, uh, and there were some people, there was a policeman here today at the funeral from, from Columbus. And he was telling me that in Columbus, Ohio, just up the road, more people have been murdered in Columbus this year, right now, than all of the full year before us. I think that with abortion and all of this other chaotic stuff that's going on, we have proof that God has lifted this hedge of protection and is saying, you wanted it, now are you happy with it? You hem me in, the psalmist said, behind and before. You, you've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to understand. And I think we can all say that, can't we? That the knowledge of God is way beyond. And I'm, I'm always, and this is opinion again, I'm the opinion that if God told us all about him, we wouldn't understand it anyway. He has told us all that we probably have the capacity to understand. Now we're talking about the omnipresence of God. Listen to him when he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and you are there. If I settle on the far side of the sea, of the sea even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It's interesting here that David has been revealed, has, God has revealed his nature to David in such a way that the great theology that's written in books that thick today are all summarized here in the 139th Psalm. We think sometimes and we act sometimes as though God isn't present. We fantasize that he's not here so we can do what we want to without giving, without being held accountable. But please understand, it's impossible to hide from it. There's a whole book in the Bible that Matthew talked about here recently. It's the book of Jonah. Jonah actually thought he could hide and run from God. And if he could get away, get on that boat and, and go to Tarsus, that, that God wouldn't be there. But on, whether he was on, the sea, on a boat on the sea or wherever he was, he couldn't hide from God and neither can we. He is constantly, always present. He knows what we're thinking. He knows the words before we say them. God is fully aware, fully aware. Now, there's a, there's a teaching that I've mentioned further along, and I don't have time to get into a lot of this, but I want now to shift away from who God is in that he's revealed himself. And I just picked these three as omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. But the Bible says... In the opening verses of Genesis in chapters, uh, chapter, chapter 1 and verse 27 in particular, that you and I and all humanity, the fullness of humanity, 
was created in the image of God. The last time I looked in the mirror, I said, God, you must be as ugly as a mud fence. But he wasn't talking about our physical appearance. He was talking about the fact that God is spirit, and when he created us, the real us is spirit and personality. God is a personality. And you and I, created in the image of God, are spirit and personality, and they never die. God is eternal. We're eternal. Where we spend eternity may be a, 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 a subject that we need to talk about some other time. But the difference between life and death, death is separation from God. Life is union with God in the scriptures. God has revealed himself and, and, and he says that you and I were created as he is. In his image created he them, he said. So what does that mean beyond that? Well, I, I, was, I was just thinking about a story that John Lund used to tell. And I don't know why this is in my head, but it is. He told the story, and I, and I haven't been able to find this, but it probably exists somewhere if I knew where, to, but I haven't been able to find it. But this is a story that I read that, that a fellow named John Lund used to use in evangelistic sermons. And he was talking about in the, in the city of Milan in Italy when Leonardo da Vinci uh, painted the Lord's Supper on the wall there of the building. And what da Vinci did, according to this story, is that for he, he made a list of all those who were sitting there at the Lord's Supper, according to the scripture, and then he would go find a young man that kind of fit his concept of what, say, young John, because John was the youngest of the apostles there. He's the one that you see leaning on Jesus. And then he would use that young person to paint the image of that. And, and uh, he was very fortunate because there was a young man that he just happened to run into that was handsome and, and, and he fit Da Vinci's concept of what he thought Christ would look like. He brought him and, and painted him and put him on the wall. And for the next two years, he was looking for individuals that he could select and paint that would represent all the apostles and those that were sitting there with him at the Last Supper. You know the one that he had more trouble with than anybody? Judas. He just couldn't, he had in his mind this, this face that looked like the embodiment of evil and he just couldn't find it. And one day, in one of the bad parts of town, he saw this young man. And he asked him, paid him, and said, would you come and sit for me? Because I want to use you, if you will allow me, to paint you to represent Judas at the Lord's Supper. With the amount of money the young man agreed. 
this was almost three years from the time that he started that painting. The young man sat there and took his money when they were done, and he broke down and wept. And he said to Da Vinci, almost three years ago, I'm the one that sat here that you painted as Jesus. You can see, I think, in that particular story, if it's true, I don't know, what kind of deterioration can take place in an individual that sells out to sin. And yet the Bible says that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the image of God is sadly affected because what's the old saying? If we're created in the image of God, the old saying is that there's a little good in the worst of us and a little bad in the best of us. When sin affects us and it's affected us all, you know, it has a destructive effect. And the Bible teaches that with clarity. I've seen too many people come to Christ, fall away, and the Bible says they would be better off never to have known him to begin with. God, you see, knows our thoughts. He knows so much about us. That, and here's what the, I want you to listen now to a few verses that the Bible says that is real. This is the word of God now. Listen to this. He says, evil men speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. You and I, I used to go to steel mills a lot. And the vulgarity and the profanity and the misuse of, the, of God's name was everywhere. And to be honest with you, I hated to hear those words. I didn't hate the guys that did it because some of them came to Christ in time. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I view them as my enemies. I believe, and he starts it off by saying, they're bloodthirsty men. That's in verse, what, 19? These are bloodthirsty men. I hope you'll forgive me if this rubs you wrong. But I see those who promote and practice abortion as those who hate God. And they're bloodthirsty people who are greedy and sell baby parts for additional income 
to promote their practices? I believe that if we were created in the image of God and that God has known us and knows who we are from the time we're conceived in the mother of the womb, it becomes a really serious issue. So you may ask me, well, how do you know that? How do you know that God knows those things from the outset? Well, if you look in the book of Jeremiah, the old prophet Jeremiah, in the opening, and this is just one of the places, in the opening chapter, starting at verse 4, listen. The word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart to be a prophet. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Isn't he saying here that from the time that you were in the thoughts of your parents, God knew you? I think that means that you are of infinite value. I'm of the opinion, and I think I can make a, a case for it, but finding scripture exactly to say it is difficult. But I believe if you were the only person that ever lived and you sinned, Christ would still have come and died for you. You have been created in the image of God and are of infinite value in the eyes of God regardless of what people think. God knew all about me. There's an interesting story. It's a, the rabbis through the years have come up with interesting stories. Not all of them are supported from Scripture. And one of those interesting stories, theories really, is that God created all the people and has them in a storehouse. And when someone is conceived, they, they, come, they come to earth that way. That he had them all created a long time ago before creation even started, blah, 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 blah. I have a little difficulty buying into that, but what they were doing, I, un I understand and sympathize with. That personalities and the spirit of an individual that God created in his image is of infinite value, infinite value. I even have difficulty, I will admit, even though the scripture gives government the capacity to take lives if they choose, if I were the one who had to push the button, I don't think I could do it. Matthew has had a case of a young boy who wasn't really fully mentally all there, that was found guilty of murder, and he asked Matthew, if they take my life, will you be there? And Matthew has struggled with that all of his life. 
to be there when they fill his veins full of whatever it is to take his life. The Bible has in more than, I just, cho I just chose this one passage in regard to Jeremiah. David says essentially the same thing in the Psalms. That while he was in his mother's womb, God knew me, he says. God is aware of you and I to this extent. Whether you're, he, he even says it this way, whether you're on the moon or on earth. And, and that become interesting a few years ago. You remember when the guys landed on the moon and they read scripture? He actually says here, starting at, at, at verse 8, he says, If I go to the heavens, you are there. So, whether you're, I like to say it this way, whether you're in the womb or on the moon, God is there and fully aware. Now, I think I'll just let it go at that. But I do. I knew. I knew. I, I need to address something that has a racial significance to it. I put it in writing, but it doesn't seem to soak in. Planned Parenthood is an evil thing. It came into existence, created by a woman, who wanted abortion to be used to limit the number of black babies born. And yet, in conjunction with ACLU, they just won the election. The influence of the Word of God and the church has deteriorated to the place where life is now cheap or in the eyes of some useless. If you really get to know the Lord, as I hope you do, and know the truth of what the Bible says about him and us, It can make a dramatic change in your life, even if you're already a Christian. Through the years, we have seen for the Wesley brothers, they, they created what we call the holiness movement in the Episcopal Church. And then they got kicked out. Then, uh, then their efforts in creating the Methodist Church was magnificent on the frontier and across the world in spreading the gospel. That Methodist Church now has voted to ordain homosexuals into the ministry. It's bad enough that they were willing to put men, women in the pulpit ministry. I really, I really will be, and Matthew's kind of a chicken. He doesn't like to be held out to, I don't really care at my age. I just don't care. I told my friend Bob Russell, we were on a 
podcast together. I said, Bob, I have no problem with women ministers as long as they're the husband of one wife. Because the Bible says that the minister of the gospel is to be the husband of one wife. And if she ever turns out to be the husband of one wife, he said, you better be careful in our days today with the pronouns the way they are. And he's right about that, isn't he? Yeah. But the Bible says that God, for those of you who seek first the kingdom of God and seek an intimate relationship with the ever-present God, he's willing to do some things that are really helpful. Because all of us are flawed. All of us are flawed. He says this in verse 23. It's really neat. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I was talking to a young lady today who, who has some anxiety about a circumstance of death in their family, so on and so forth. God he is aware of that, and you can take it to him, and he can help you with it. He happens to be a whole lot better than most psychiatrists. And he says, get this verse 24, because it really is important in developing ministers of the gospel. He said, and if there is any offense, any offensive way in me, he says, help me to understand it and overcome it. If I understand communion correctly, it is for the specific purpose of you and me examining ourselves to see if there's any offensive way in us so that we can address that problem with the power of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of each other. That's why the Bible says, bury one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Rather than sitting in judgment and condemnation when we're trying to grow in Christ, it really is helpful to encourage each other. We need more people like Barnabas. His name literally means encouragement. He was an encourager. One of the guys that, uh, let's see how I'm doing here. Well, I got another minute or two or three or four because Andrew took some of my time. And I don't care, but that's all right. I like to aggravate the pot liquor. That's what I call him anyway. And anyway, where was I? I was going to tell you a story. What was it? Can you think of it? No, I guess you can't. Okay. Is that my first wife talking? Oh, Barnabas? Yeah, Barnabas. Oh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, it gets worse all the time, so you may have to help a lot in, if I hang around for a while. One of the people that I have observed as a type of Barnabas was the man who selected Patrick and Eddie to come here. His name is Alex Metall, and he's been here, and he's visited and stayed in our home, and I took him over to Kentucky Christian where the boys were in school, and we visit with him every time we go back to Uganda. Uncle Alex, and they say uncle, the uncle there is the same as Mr. here. 
So they call him Uncle Alex, and, and, and we were there. Alice Kay and I were there, and there's a young preacher that was preached his first sermon. It was the lousiest sermon I ever heard. I mean, it was, it was as near useless by my standards as you could find. <laughs> so after he, was, he was, came to Uncle Alex's office then on a Monday, and Mr. Metalla was telling him how wonderful he did. And he said, you know what? When you told that story about yourself, all the kids here sat up and listened. You really did good. Uh, I thought, you know, that's not the way I'm kind of put together. I would kind of said, son, you stunk, but there's hope for you. And, but he wasn't that way. He wasn't that way. And then I, I questioned him about it. And he got tickled. He laughed and he said, that's not as bad. He said, that, that's not really the worst story. And I said, what's that? He said, you remember going to the church there in the slums and preaching there? And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He said, I helped start that church. There was a handful of people there wanting to start the church. And he said, this young preacher, and he's dead and I got killed in a car accident. He said, I put him there to, to, to be the preacher. And he said, about 75 people came to the first meeting. And about three months later, he had preached it down to three. And he said, Uncle Alex, this ain't working. Said, he said, well, well, why not? He said, there's just three of us. And Uncle Alex said, that's not a bad congregation. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make that. They do pretty good together. And when Alice Kay and I were there for the first time to preach there, and I was asked to preach, there was almost a 1,000 people there. So that encouragement thing must work. And I think it behooves you and me to know that God is fully aware of when we are critical of each other and say unkind things about each other. We really need a pat on the back instead of a kick in the seat of the pants most of the time. Now, there are times when we have to be corrected. But if God searches my heart and reveals to, to my spirit through his spirit what needs to be done, and then we confess it to each other, and then we can work on it, and I think the growth could be magnificent. We're getting ready here, and I'm going to wind up now. If you notice out front, I think my first wife will be sitting out there at the table. On the 12th of October, we're wanting to have a woman's event here. And we have invited a friend of ours. We just got to know her about a year ago. She's an actress who's a Christian lady who studies the... And she's going to be here, and she will be performing as though she were Rahab, the harlot. And uh, she agreed to do that. Now, Alice Kay's uncle is going to bring, or cousin is going to bring her up here to save us some money, because he's rich. And uh, well, and, and it's a good thing. He gave us fifty thousand dollars last year to help with the thing over in Uganda. I like that kind of riches. It kind of rings my bell. 
But what I'd like to do is for you women, because women are better at inviting people to church than men are. They just are. They do a better job. And I think the time has come for our congregation when we start getting over the past and start planning for the future. I would like for you to kind of put this, you ladies, put this and you men, okay, you'll take care of the house or maybe we might need a couple of uh, security people here, I don't know. But we want to have a nice meal and then have uh, a little program of music and and then have her to come on and make her presentation. But in order to prepare for that, we've ordered a lot of books about, uh, Bible study books about Rahab. And so we want to have at least one, or maybe two, but one for sure Bible study about Rahab before she comes. And those books are already ordered and at the table out there, and they're just 10 bucks a piece. And we would like for the women to buy them. And, and, and if, if you don't allow your wife to have money, you scrounge your old men, buy one for her so that all of the women have them. And the other thing I want you to do is to be thinking about who you want to invite to bring with you. I made a list of, of women of our church, and, and, and you know what? There's over, and I know I've missed some, but there's over 100 names. And so why don't we say, why don't we set as a goal for ourselves 150 to 200 women to be here that night? Because when that thing is over, we can say to our women, I don't care what your past is. If Rahab can be put in the lineage of Jesus, As the, as the operator of a brothel on the walls of, Jeru of Jericho, God can save anybody. Anybody. So if you have a friend uh, well, that don't think they can be saved, you have them here and they'll find out they can. But we need you to, and, 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 and I'm going to, the first, first class we have, I'm gonna take about 10 minutes and tell you some stuff that she will not be able to tell you that I want you to know before she gets here. And then the women can go ahead and have a class from there. But I'm saying we'll have it on a Thursday night, a Thursday or night, because the 12th of October is on a Thursday night. And that can be a magnificent gathering and the beginning of a revival here at church because women and children bring more revivals than men have ever done. Give them credit. Okay, I'm done now. And besides that, I'm tired. This this preaching twice on a day is, for a guy that's older than Methuselah, it's kind of tough. So, and tomorrow, just as soon as church is over here, I hop in a car, I drive to Lafayette, Indiana, as fast as I can get there. Because about a year or so ago, a little over a year ago, I don't remember just when, maybe two, I don't know. One of Alice Kay's grandsons, Aaron Michael, married a Jewish girl. And I told them I would perform the service if they would complete the two books we use here for new converts. I want you to do it together, working with your Bible, get them right.
they did that. And about 10 days ago, Laurel called me and said, would you come to Lafayette, Indiana and baptize me? And so that's what I'm going to do. Never baptized a Jew before, but I'm going to hold her down to the bubbles quit. And, uh, and the beauty of it is, she's so serious, the beauty of it is, she said, and I'll need some help in explaining this to my mom and my dad and my sister because I want to figure a way to lead them to Christ too. Ain't that great? And uh, so I'll be leaving just as I'm probably go out the side door so I can get out of here and get going. And I'll be back Tuesday and uh, God willing. So let's pray and you can run. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for revealing in your word who you are and then who we are and how much you love us and are willing to help us. Help us, Father, to, to grow more like Jesus each day as the power of your Holy Spirit works in our life. And we develop through the encouragement of, the, of each other and the prodding of your Holy Spirit. We can maybe get to the day that we can say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Help us, O oh Lord, toward that end is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You've been nice. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.